0: Hello and welcome to the Encouraging Angels podcast with Stan Szymanski. I'm your host, Stan Szymanski. Today is Tuesday, October 10th, 2023, and I have a great show for you today. Neither Encouraging Angels nor Stan Szymanski nor anyone affiliated with Encouraging Angels is offering any type of advice on this program. We do not offer personal advice. We do not offer medical advice. We do not offer legal advice. We do not offer financial advice. Again, we do not offer personal advice of any kind. Please consult a professional in the area of your need or interest. I did not do a show yesterday because... I was doing the things, if you know what I'm saying. In other words, you know, we, we have this old house that we bought and moved out of the city, moved into the country, and there's so much to do, and I'm working on getting us so we can have a wood-burning stove. So that ha- that entails many things uh, to do to make that happen, and I spent the bulk of my day doing that. Um But over the weekend, we had certainly an interesting weekend, a a horrifically interesting weekend, did we not? Uh, And it was almost prophetic um, on the article that I'm going to cover today, which is my own, um, that in Israel... You know, there's an extremely well-planned and coordinated attack by Hamas that killed 900, over 900 Israelis, and injured over 2,000. You know, they have a a country of about 9 million people, and if you extrapolate that to the U.S., which has roughly 330 million, if you don't count the illegal aliens, uh... You know, that, if that kind of attack, just to give you the, the, uh, the breadth of the gravity of what happened in Israel, where truly it was bigger than 9-11 um, for them, uh, is that if you took those numbers in Israel of, of a country of 9 million with 900 dead and, uh, you know, 200 injured, that would be the same as 33,000 people dying in one day in the United States due to, to uh, uh, to, uh, you know, just abject warfare. And it would be over, you know, 75,000 injured. You know, that would probably set off a nuclear war. Um, you know, Hamas also took over a hundred hostages, uh, you know, in the U.S., that would be the equivalent of, you know, they'd take 2,600, 3,000 hostages. Don't think that those kind of things aren't planned for the U.S. This thing is widening. <laughs> I mean, you have the Ukraine, you have, uh, now you have Israel, uh, probably soon to be Syria, or Syria has said that they're probably going to engage. We have Syrian people crossing the southern border of the United States, so... It's all planned. When we look at the jab, again, I go back, I routinely go back to the interview that I was on with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. I was on her um, happy hour show, which is a Bible study, where she uh, made the statement that in the the examination, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, in the examination of worldwide databases as of the end of October last year, 2022, 20 million people died, not due to a virus, due to the jab. Think about that. And according to Dr. Betsy Eads, E-A-D-S, in the most recent, recent uh, interview that Greg Hunter did with her, which we have, which we put up three, four weeks ago uh, on the Encouraging Angels blog, www.encouragingangels.org, that she claims that 2 billion people, that's with a B, 2 billion people, that's about, you know, that's over one quarter of the planet are disabled because of the jab. That is all planned. That was all planned. We also know it was a created substance, created, created in a lab. We, we have those stories posted on the EA blog. So if those things are all planned, I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to preface what I'm going to talk about today with that so that you can believe that what I'm going to talk about is also planned, If you have not heard about this subject, you're probably going to be shocked, especially if you're a church-going person. But you need to take a look at my article and all the references I have and citations and make up your mind for yourself. I reposted a story I wrote a little over two years ago titled this. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Why asking your pastor if he is a member of the clergy response team may change history. Let's get into the article. This is a somewhat lengthy article. So first I'm going to to set up what, you know, and identify what the clergy response team is and who has done the work on this previous to me. And then I'm going to talk about my experience in confronting pastors about this. So hang on to your hats. I reposted this on October 8th, right on Saturday. Excuse me, on Sunday, I reposted this. And it's a, let's let's get into this. This is a repost of an article originally posted on July 2nd, 2021 at the Encouraging Angels blog. I was once again watching Steve Quayle on his Q Files podcast, link on the article, $10 a month and totally worth it. Steve spoke of the cornucopia of current event topics and how it applies to the life of the believer with the most important thing being that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior in one's life. Steve opened a recent Friday, October 6, 2023 broadcast with the statement, and for such a time as this, referring to the statement from Mordecai to Queen Esther. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14. Steve went on to basically say that every church member had the right to know if their pastor was a member of the clergy response team. This is because of the potential for total catastrophe caused by membership in this group, or excuse me, caused by membership in this group by the pastor for the church congregant. Have you heard about the clergy response teams? If not, please read on. And now we're going to start into the the reposted article by Stan Szymanski. Since my wife and I run a disability ministry, we have interfaced with significant numbers of pastors and churches over the past 15 years. Five years or so ago, when I first read Dave Hodge's article about the clergy response team, CRT, It really made me wonder about how deep the problem is where I live and work. In his novel writings, Mr. Hodges illuminates the fact, for many of you, your pastor is not your friend, and that's the hyperlink to an article that is titled that. I will first use Dave's work to outline what the CRT is, that's Clergy Response Team, Then speak about my personal experience of talking with pastors about the clergy response team, and finally, the relevance of the story of Esther and the horrible condition that the CRT presents for believers in America and the bravery that we need and need to consider. In a nutshell, the purpose of the clergy response team is to, one, Undermine the authority of the Bible by misusing the words of the Bible, Romans 13, within the local church. Two, provide a local representative to do the bidding of the larger government, as well as collect intel on persons of interest inside the church through the CRT and NOVAD in the local church body. Now, let me stop for a second and pull up uh, Novad. Um, you know Novad. Uh, you know response to disasters across the country. Let me um, just go to the about us real quick. Novad is national voluntary organizations active in disaster. It was founded over 50 years ago in response to the challenges of many disaster organizations experiencing following Hurricane Camille, a Cat 5 5 storm that hit the Gulf Coast in August 1969. Up to that time, numerous government, private sector, and nonprofit orgs served disaster survivors independent of one another. As a result, help came to the survivors haphazardly. So they organized this stuff. And as you'll see, they're organizing the pastors. Number three, back to the article. Provide a conduit, and that's the pastor of the church, to channel parishioners into government-organized FEMA camps in times of local and national crisis without the heavy hand or heavy expense incurred by the government. In the Dave Hodges article, pastors to help DHS in arrests and detention of Americans in FEMA camps. And I have it's hyperlinked dated February 25th, 2015. He interviewed pastor Walt Mansfield and here's the quote Mansfield's revelation about his experiences are stunning and concerning at the same time. Pastor Mansfield attended several briefings and he could barely believe his ears He learned of the government's plan to enact martial law as well as to implement forced population relocations. Mansfield emphasized that when martial law is enacted, the enforcement would be immediate. In other words, family members will be separated from each other, and part of the training that the clergy received was how to comfort separated family members. Pastor Mansfield emphasized that the FEMA DHS drills were predicated on bioterrorism. The pastors were trained to go to homes where people uh, refused to be relocated by the authorities, and their immediate job was to convince the reluctant to willingly go to the relocation camps. Ostensibly, this was to be done in lieu of sending in the SWAT teams, unquote. Hodge's work reveals that the entity involved with the clergy response teams invoke a misappropriation of the meaning of Romans 13 in order to obtain compliance from the people. From Mr. Hodge's article, Why Your Pastor Is Not Your Friend, and we have the hyperlinks there, quote, the modern interpretation of Romans 13 is pure blasphemy. This scripture has been morphed into a doctrine espousing the divine right of kings, in which God has somehow chosen the king to ruthlessly rule over a people, and it is incumbent upon the people to accept their God-given fate. The flock are commanded to, quote, submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established, unquote. This false interpretation is nothing but a divine coronation of a ruthless, self-serving government, and Christians are expected to capitulate and honor the same kind of thievery, lawlessness, and murder which inspired Jesus to expel the money changers from the temple. Wouldn't the acceptance of a Hitler-esque interpretation of Romans 13 by the local congregation logically Result with a pastorate who could get away with anything at the expense of the parishioners. Coffee break. Romans 13 was Hitler's favorite scripture and he misused it mightily. As rightly relayed over at Theopo- Theopoetic Musings, and the link is here titled Hitler and the Nazis Use of Romans 13 Against the Confessing Church. Quote, the Nazi government led by Hitler used 13, excuse me, the Nazi government led by Hitler used Romans 13.1, that's Romans chapter 13, verse 1, against the resistance movements in the German church. Nazi leaders argued that since Hitler was duly elected, Opposing him was opposing God's instituted authority. Faithful opposition countered by saying blind allegiance to Hitler was idolatrous, and that what he proposed and lived out clearly opposed Scripture. We must obey God rather than any human authority. They, they were quoting that. When they say, we must obey God rather than any human authority, that's from Acts 5.29. Unquote, from the, uh, the article. Mr. Hodges further points out that, quote, the clergy response team falls under the umbrella series of programs known as National Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster, otherwise known as NOVAD, and that NOVAD claims to be a faith-based condition which is structured as a non-governmental organization and operates on a national scale and is supported by tax dollars funneled to DHS, unquote. So this organization used by the government to establish a foothold in the Christian church in America. It's, It's an organization used by the government to establish a foothold in the Christian church in America for more detailed information on the clergy response team please go to www.thecommonsenseshow.com and search the vast array of articles now that i've shared a basic understanding of what the clergy response team is let's turn to my personal experience in having albeit brief in every case in each case actual discussions with pastors whom i know and in my article, I say, please refer to our proviso at the end of the article regarding any reproduction of this writing and consider a donation to Encouraging Angels today, which I encourage you today. Back to the article. While my family visited his church and after his sermon, I asked Pastor Number One about the clergy response teams. He just looked at me, turned slightly pale and his eyes opened as big as saucers as he just went into a catatonic stare that did not seem to end for a small eternity. He then walked out of the sanctuary. Pastor one retired shortly thereafter. Since our ministry had been doing disability at the church I met with, Pastor number two, when I mentioned the Collision Response Team to him, his response to me was, after being visibly shocked, quote, well, we're all responsible to the government, unquote. I would call that a tacit admonition of complicity. This is the same pastor that openly shared the private confidence of a major sports figure, that this sports figure divulged to him at an altar call while the sports figure's wife was with a different pastor at the rail. If that pastor will brag about private secrets of a member of the congregation, is it really a stretch to believe that he is also, you know, not sharing that kind of info with his NOVAD handlers? Pastor 3 had no answer for my CRT question, that's clergy response team, and quite frankly would not answer. From what I understand, pastors who have signed on to the clergy response team cannot publicly acknowledge their cooperation with the clergy response team. In the aforementioned pastors to help DHS article, Pastor Mansfield substantiates this, quote, Pastors are absolutely forbidden to publicly speak about any aspect of the program. If you were to ask your pastor if they are a FEMA-trained pastor, they will not likely tell you, unquote. Pastor number four, after preaching on the entire book of Revelation in one 30-minute sermon, when asked about the closure response teams, He turned his gaze to the floor and said, I don't believe they exist. Finally, and most ominously and regretfully, is pastor number five. An old friend who I hadn't seen in a number of years. We broke bread at a restaurant close to his church. It was good to catch up. As we were parting ways in the parking lot, his wife pulled up to pick him up, and I mentioned a big church where they were apparently involved, in CRT, in clergy response team, and I asked him about his involvement and he turned away and said no. He paused for a minute and said to me, why don't you take a drive through the church parking lot? Now, isn't that an odd response to be being asked about the clergy response team? He got in the car with his wife and drove away. I can only imagine that anyone who drives through a church parking lot becomes a person of interest in some way as their car and license plate is most likely recorded and perhaps shared with someone. In the Pastors to Help DHS article, Dave Hodges opens the article by stating, The fact that FEMA has recruited up to an estimated 28,000 pastors as a low-end estimate and to as many as 100,000 pastors as a high-end estimate in order to form the clergy response team is very disturbing, not to mention frightening, unquote. If you aren't disturbed by this point, you probably aren't a believer in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I have shared with you my experiences in asking pastors face-to-face about the evil organization known as the Clergy Response Team. What went through their head when a layperson asked them about this secret framework of church and government? Were they scared that their government overlords would put them on the outs, or worse, for their noncompliance with the secrecy? Were these pastors concerned what the congregation would think of them or worse, do to them if they found out? Did any of them think about any of the sermons they may have preached on the book of Esther? In the book, Esther, King Xerxes got fed up with his wife, had a beauty contest for a new bride, and Esther won. Esther was a Jew, and the man who raised her, Mordecai, totally irritated the new number two in the kingdom, Haman. Haman hated Mordecai because Mordecai was good, saved the life of the king, and would not bow down to Haman when he passed by. Haman hated all the Jews and had a plan to kill them on one day. Esther initially was reticent to approach the king, but when Mordecai said, If you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's Esther chapter 4, verse 14. In short, Esther called out Haman for the rat that he was, and the king hung Haman on the gallows he had set up for Mordecai. And that's Esther chapter 7, verse 10. So I have said all to say this, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Are you part of God's kingdom? Do you name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It is time for us to be bold and find out if the people who are running the churches are actually named Mordecai or Haman. This is the time that God has placed you in his kingdom, and it is for such a time as this. If you ask about the clergy response team face-to-face with your pastor, pastor, you may very well get excommunicated. Perhaps you will become a person of interest. Perhaps you will lose all of your friends at the church. All of these things have happened to me and my wife. We are still here. We are here for such a time as this. These are the decisions we made. They were right for us. Yours are up to you, and there are risks. Are you willing to ask the question of your pastor? Are you a member of the clergy response team? In closing, I want to share the picture that someone for the church who purposely put in the middle of the wall that we would use for a projection screen when we did worship for the disabled. And in the article that's on you know EA blog, Uh, I have a copy of the picture there. This is a depiction of some type of destroyed forest. The tops of the trees are blown off. In my estimation, this could only be done by a directed energy weapon or a nuke. They made sure we would see it because, you know, we had to move it to be able to use the wall for worship video. I wonder what kind of plans the people who run the churches have in store for the unsuspecting churchgoers. Is this picture a depiction of what they have planned? Can one change history with a question? Will asking it get your pastor to think about his involvement? You think that you know your pastor's name. Are you sure? Are you sure it is not Haman? Are you willing to ask the question? Have you come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And that's the article I reposted this past Sunday, October 8th, from originally July 2nd of 2021. My friends, This stuff is real, unfortunately. And as someone who has, has ministry, <laughs> uh, you know, it pains me to, to first, for me to learn it, and, you know, second, to, sh- to have to share it. Because, you know, unfettered, I mean... How many people would be captured during some unsuspecting uh, blitzkrieg move in one day or over one night? Look what they did in Israel that Hamas did. Hamas is nothing like Hezbollah. In other words, Hezbollah is magnitudes of military above Hamas, and Hamas Created the biggest one-day, uh, you know, catastrophe in Israel's history. Now, I'm not counting the, you know, the um, the Holocaust. I'm talking about the, the, the nation-state of Israel, at least in modern times. Some of those battles of the biblical times were quite... Um, The fatalities were quite numerous. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Why asking your pastor if he is a member or she is a member of the clergy response team. Don't you think that you have a right to know that? And... Why would your pastor be a member of a clandestine group that has your future as its goal for meeting? Why would your pastor be a member of a clandestine group that has your future at its center? You think you can sit on your hands? And by the way, if you go and ask this question of your pastor, don't do it alone. Do it with a a witness. That's my humble opinion. The times we live in are precarious. But who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now is the time not to be a coward. And if you read your scripture, you will find out that the cowards do not inherit eternal life. The cowards do not inherit eternal life. You ask the question, you watch them get squirrely. What's wrong with having a home church? I know it's hard. You know, you have people, some of you that are listening have been in a church for maybe 50 years and your whole social network is, uh, tied up in that church. What is your eternal destiny worth to you? What is the eternal destiny of those that you love worth to you? Because I assure you this, someone who is part of something as evil as clergy response team does not really have your eternal salvation at heart. Oh, he may preach some messages from the Bible. I assure you, he's not out winning souls. I would just say prove me wrong. You know, ask the question and get get, get them to have a discussion with you. No, they won't have a discussion with you. Because they'll just deny it. But there's enough information and links that I have in the article. I have posted at the Encouraging Angels blog at www.encouragingangels.org. On my blog post, you know, dated October 8th, 2023. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And why is the CEO of a disability ministry writing about this? You know, I mentioned Dave Hodges. Dave does a lot of good work on a lot of this clandestine stuff, and he's been doing work recently um, about the 15 minute cities. And um, one of the things that he has said is that um, they have no plans, no plans written for the elderly, and no plans written for the disabled. If you think, as a caregiver of the disabled, and I mentioned, you know, Dr. Betty Eades' number of 2 billion, now disabled. You know, I I have, my sister-in-law works for a big bank, and she put up uh, her involvement in this, um, oh, this initiative that they're doing at the bank about accessibility for disabled folks, you know, yay for them, it's 2023. Um, it's because the jab has made half the population disabled. And they have to, you know, find some way to, you know, attract and keep customers. That is until we get CBDC, then they will... Probably all be all but irrelevant, unless you're probably one of the banks that did the, uh, the CBDC testing, I think, which there was about 13 of them. A couple of them were Pittsburgh banks. How convenient for me. When are you going to stand up? What will it take? Will you finally stand up when you're, you know, your pastor, uh, you're in church? And and again, this is hypothetical because I don't know how all this will work out. But in this hypothetical situation, will you finally stand up? After your pastor says, you know, after this catastrophic event that just happened, again, hypothetical, that I know most of you are saying that you don't have anything to eat. Well, we have food for you. And it's at what Hillary Clinton would call the fun camps. Or, I mean, she talked about forced uh, re-education for Trump supporters. And I don't care if you're a Trump supporter or not. But considering that that was like more than half the country, at least at one time in recent history, um, that that is um, otherwise saying that you're going to a concentration camp and that they have food for you there. They had food for the uh, all the Jews and the Poles and the Gypsies in World War II at Birkenau and Auschwitz and the rest of the, um, uh, and Treblinka and all, all the rest of the, the camps but you were in a work camp and don't you know that you were every day you were expending more calories than you were taking in because my friend survival is a game of calories that's why it's so important for you to have like rice and beans and so forth and know the fact that the uh, you know U.S. military has done studies, and to keep a fighting age male now keep that in mind, fighting age male in the field for one year, you know it takes approximately 750 pounds of food, because they expend, they need, they're they're re-putting into their bodies about 3,200 calories a day. You may not be uh, have a need to consume that much, but if there's a breakdown in society. If a nuke goes off and all the electricity goes off, you're going to be doing so much work outside once the dusk settles because you almost for sure have no access to water. You're going to have to go get it. and it and, And water that you, there will be no availability and you will have to consider drinking water that you previously only walked through. You will have to have food. You know, I don't know how you're going to get it because there's already you a know, famine. Look at the grocery stores. I can tell you that like the stores that I go to, the aisles are twice as wide as they were last year. That's because they don't have product to put up. And prices are skyrocketing. But that pastor, as he stands in the pulpit and tells you, we have food for you and it's in the FEMA camp. And they open the doors behind him in the church under the exit sign. And on the other side of those doors is an olive covered, olive-colored, you know, military transport truck that you can climb on and get to the camp. Are you gonna finally stand up then? Will you stand up once you're inside the camp and the barbed wire is over your head? You know, I'm a Polak. <laughs> that means Polish for those of you who aren't from Pittsburgh. And it's actually derogatory, but I'm just I'm just saying it because growing up, um, you know, at least until I was like 18 years old, I got called a Polak every day in my neighborhood. And that's just the way it was, especially when your name's Stan Szymanski. It's kind of like, you know, it's hard to get any more Polish than that. But the Polish learned something quite valuable uh, during World War II, and that was to not get on a boxcar headed east, to not get on a boxcar headed east that led to the camps. And they stood up, they stood up in the camps, They, they, they stood up. In the Warsaw Uprising, with no weapons, they still stood up and fought the Nazis, you know, for a month, you know, in Warsaw, in the ghetto. They survived World War II. They survived 40 years of occupation by the communist Russians. And they stood up. And finally, they had, the, with the help of the Pope and the... Uh, Uh, the worker strikes across the country, they regained their freedom. For all we know, we are in the end times. We know that we're in the end times because the Bible says, you know, that we're in the end times since the time of the Apostle Paul. But if we see a man go into the temple in Jerusalem, and declare himself God, you will know that the time clock of three and a half years of the tribulation will have begun. And I don't care. All of those people saying the tribulation seven years, they're wrong. The only reference to seven years is in the book of Daniel. And that says that the man of perdition the a- AC, the Antichrist, confirms a covenant for seven years. That doesn't mean that he makes the covenant. It means he he confirms it. Kind of like, again, this is from uh, the pastor who I follow. That's David Langford out of North Carolina, uh, where he had a picture in his book, The Second Coming, A Second Look, of the uh, the peace accord where um, Yitzhak uh, Rabin and uh, Yasser Arafat are shaking hands. That's the covenant between those two nations. And Bill Clinton stands behind them with his hands on each shoulder of each man. That's Bill Clinton confirming the covenant. Now, I'm not saying he's the Antichrist, but that's what it means when the Antichrist confirms a covenant. He will have done that before the actual beginning of the tribulation or tribulations, because in the book of Revelation, it says three times how long it will be. It first says, it, well, I'm not sure how the order is, but it's." it says 1,260 days. Then it says 42 months, and then it says three and a half years, which numerically are all the same. The tribulation will be three and a half years, in my humble opinion, you read for yourself. You read for yourself. Because the people who are teaching all this seven-year stuff, when you ask them what goes on in the first three and a half years, they always say, we don't know. You know, I just went through this with a church. You know, we, I, that's, I, I am pretty sure that's the last church we'll be a part of because we really tried to be a member of a local church, and they're just spouting off. You know, baloney. I'm sorry to say, very sorry to say. When will you stand up? Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Do you even know Jesus Christ right now? Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. There is no other hope. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23. God looks down from heaven to see if any are righteous. He says, no, there are none righteous. No, not one. And that's a paraphrase of, of Psalm 14. So all are sinners. And imperfection is something that cancels you from having an opportunity to be in the presence of God, to have eternal life with Him. However, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, and He was born of a virgin, fully God and fully man. And lived a perfect life as a Hebrew, as an Israelite. That This is so important to understand. Because in such, living that perfect life as an Israelite, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. Every jot and every tittle, as the scripture says. And when he died on the cross, he did so to take the sins of the world upon him as the sacrificial lamb, as the perfect, unblemished sacrifice for our sins, the only sacrifice acceptable to God the Father. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that is why Jesus Christ died for you and for me. And he rose again. God raised him from the dead to to be the first among many brothers to live, to give us eternal life if we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the only hope for mankind. Look at this story that I did today. This is abject evil inside the church. Evil. These people, look at the what's been planned. We saw the plan for Israel. And again, I'm not, I'm not absolving Israel of the other things that that nation state has done at all. I'm just saying 900 dead, 2, th- over 2,000 wounded. That was planned. The jab, over 20 million dead worldwide. That was planned. These are facts. And this clergy response team has planned. What will the effect of this be? I'll tell you what, it will be a lot less if people ask their pastor the question, Are you a member of the clergy response team? Again, do it with a witness. Watch them get squirrely. Unfortunately, I have a song I've written about this, by the way, that I'm the the song, the demo's done. I'm. I'm working on a few more songs. We're going to have a a new batch of recordings so that I can go online and do, you know, worship for the disabled uh, without fear of reprisal from copyright. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Please consider supporting encouraging angels. We need and you know and ask for you to support us. If you find valuable in in broadcasts like what I've done today, which represents a lot of work of researching and writing this article, and of course sharing it with you today, and the personal price that was paid in doing so. Please consider. A gift to Encouraging Angels. Please, please share this broadcast with you know your your friends. Whatever platform you're listening on, Spotify, Podbean, what have you, the little square with the arrow pop on out of it is the share button. Click on that and share it with one or two people. Would you please, please consider a donation to Encouraging Angels, www.encouragingangels.org, Click on the Donate tab and you can give online with your card through our link to Cornerstone, great payment processor, or send something to our P.O. Box. Well, this is, oh, and I, I, with all this going on, I would be remiss if I did not remind you about an incredible resource uh, known as Civil Defense Manual, civildefensemanual.com. The book by Jack Lawson, you know, teaching you how to assemble a neighborhood response team or neighborhood protection team. Information on communications from NC Scout. Night fighting by Matt Bracken, Navy SEAL Matt Bracken. uh, Intelligence and area study by Sam Culper. And a lot more, uh, all the information on food, um, you know, energy, uh, nuclear protection. It's a 950-page resource. It's two volumes. And it is um, $100. And in my humble opinion, it is really worth it. Please consider that. We're trying to be a value to you. We are trying our best to be a value to you. Please consider supporting us and... You know, support yourself with, um, you know, what you hear here and a book like, uh, well, a, uh, a, a two-volume set at CivilDefenseManual.com. Check it out. This is the Encouraging Angels podcast. I'm Stan Szymanski, and I look forward to seeing you right here next time.